Collision symbol, dash symbol, anger symbol, sparkles, glowing star, sun with face, earth, shooting star, volcano, high voltage sign, sun beneath cloud, frog face, honeybee, monkey face, face screaming with fear, fire. 13th of April 2015 on Twitter, I tweeted, Campbell's condensed history of science, full stop, complete and unabridged. And then I went on to tweet the complete history of science, but I did it in emojis, starting with the Big Bang, the explosion emoji, through to cosmic inflation, stellar nucleosis, the formation of the Earth, volcanoes, weather, climate, plants, animals, all the way through to the Anthropocene, the rise of humans and the birth of technology. And I was rather pleased with myself, actually. I thought it was rather good. And it got a lot of retweets. Well, a lot of retweets for me. 2015, I suppose, was very much peak emoji. It's when we really started talking about emojis and they really became a popular thing in the public consciousness. And I'm a fan. I like them. They're a good way of conveying lots of information very, very quickly. They're fun. They're silly. They're humorous. They're also really, really interesting. Where did they come from? What were their origins? Why is it that some people get to decide what emojis we can use and what emojis we can't? Welcome to Patented. This is my podcast about the history of inventions brought to you by History Hit. I'm Dallas Campbell. Thank you very much for your company. It's lovely to have you here. So emojis, uh, how on earth did we end up at emojis and what do they say about us? Today, I'm joined by Philip Sargent, who's a lecturer in linguistics at the Open University and author of the book, The Emoji Revolution, which is written using words rather than emojis. And at the start of the book, there's a bit where Philip wonders what people in the 1980s would have guessed language would look like today, only 40 years later. I'm going to read you this little bit because I think it's terrific. Would they have seen it as something which looked as if it were regressing back to the very earliest forms of human writing, but at the same time could be communicated only via devices that were linked to a global computerized network? Would the language they foresaw be one designed not for the expression of rational thought, but for sentiment, invented to compensate for the growing emotional distance that characterised the way people were now relating to each other? Would they have given this language a backstory that began with the hypercute handwriting of Japanese schoolgirls, but ended with a highly regulated system that was policed by a small, unelected cohort of the world's biggest transnational corporations. Well, there you go. Welcome to the future. Welcome to Emoji Land. Smiley face, upside down smiley face, sad face, thundercloud, aubergine. Just scrolling through my old Twitter feed and I found um, 2015, I did the complete history of science in emojis. And it's good. I just I haven't looked at it since 2015 and it's pretty good. I gather people have like done entire novels based in emojis now. They have, yeah. Again, probably around that time. 2016, the Oxford English Dictionary chose 
an emoji as its word of the year. So that was sort of, as you say, peak emoji. It became very visible, um, slightly controversial, is it a word, all that sort of stuff. And then people were starting to sort of experiment and see what could be done. I want to dive straight into like the deep stuff and like the kind of meaty stuff but we should uh, we should start let's start from the very beginning so emojis where does the word come from emotion it's a japanese word no it doesn't come from emotion at all that's pure coincidence doesn't it i thought it was emoticon what was a, what's an emoticon then? emoticon does come from um emotion and icon squish them together emoticon what was emoticon then i can't remember what was what was making faces by using punctuation the colon and the Oh, yeah, that's right. Like colons and brackets. Colons and brackets. Yeah, exactly. So that predates emoji, but it's completely separate. It's Japanese. It's a Japanese word. E means picture. Moji means writing. So emoji, emoji. It's interesting, actually, that just before we get on to emojis, that repurposing of symbols and words to mean other things. A bit like when I was a kid, you know, you'd write boobs, 800, whatever, on a calculator and then turn it upside down. It would spell boobs. We like to repurpose things. Well, we do all the time. I mean, that's how language evolves. Firstly, you communicate with what you've got to hand. And then secondly, you, you play around with it. So text before smartphones, text messaging was all that sort of thing. It was, you know, you only had however many characters, I can't even remember how many characters it was now, that you could fit in on when you were sending a text message. So you squashed things together or you made up your own little um, codes within the community and sometimes they grow, sometimes they don't. Yeah. Let's do a little bit of history, but then we'll get into the deep, interesting stuff because it's really good. Okay, so emoji, it comes from the Japanese. Where? How? Japan? We're in Japan. We're in Japan, it's the 1990s. Japan's sort of communications, especially sort of mobile phones and things, were more advanced than the West at that time. Yeah, so someone, there's slight dispute about who and exactly when, but someone invented a set of characters, about 100 originally, which were little pictures of things, smiley faces, but also hearts. The pile of poo goes right back to the very earliest days as a way of communicating via text messaging with pictures. Because I thought it started with pages. I thought pages, as in pre-mobile phones, people had pages which had a heart on it. Exactly. It depends exactly when you sort of, uh, what you take as the first point. On telephones, and there being a whole, like, you know, a set of them, was about either 1997 or 1999. So for ages, everyone said it was 1999, this guy called Shigetaka Kurita who was a designer for one of the one of the Japanese cell phone companies, he designed them. But then since people started talking about that, there's been a slight, you know, some someone uncovered an earlier set. So, yeah, so that was when emojis as such started. But as you say, on uh, pages, again, Japan had a, a very different experience of pages. than I don't even remember pages back in the UK other than maybe business people using them more. We'll just remind our listeners what pages were. Pages with the little things you had in your pocket. I, I had one. And um, pre-mobile phones, so early 90s. And it would vibrate or beep. And then a number would come up. And that would be the number of someone who, who wants to get hold of you. And then you call that number from it. You have to go find a payphone or a phone. In the UK, it was sort of popular for business people and hospitals, doctors and things like that. And out-of-work actors like me at the time. <laughs> My agent demanded I had a pager. Oh, good. So he, could, he or she could get in touch with you immediately uh, to give you all the good news. To, t- to tell me the bad news. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They've gone a different direction. That was the general gist of my acting career. <laughs> so again, in Japan, it was incredibly popular with school kids. 
as well, and apparently particularly uh, girls. So sort of half the sales of pages went to teenage girls because they'd use it, they'd adapt it very much like your um, boobs calculator thing, invent codes to send messages via numbers. And then someone had the bright idea, okay, so as well as numbers, we'll add this heart. They added the heart that was hugely popular, just as a way of, you know, sending your boyfriend a, a message before you went to bed. I was just looking at some of these, some of those kind of codified dialects that Japanese schoolgirls used on pages. Things like 6000-843. And if you look at that, it kind of looks like goodbye, like the 6000 looks kind of like good. And the 843, separate word, looks a little bit, but it, you've got to really squint. But it's interesting, though, that the limitations of, of the technology, as in it can only do numbers, there is a natural human propensity to want to create language, and as soon, especially if it's something rude, as, as soon as you can draw a cock using, <laughs> then that's what you're going to go for. Yes, whether the teenage girls were doing that or not, let's leave that to one side. But yeah, absolutely. And so you use what you've got available and you play around with it. And as you say, it's like, it's a mixture of a secret language, but something that a lot of people can understand. So that was one of the developments. You, you've got someone decided a heart would be a good thing. So they made a pixelated heart. So that pixelated heart, can we can we call that the genesis or can we go even further back? You can pretty much go as far back as you want. There were various different things that fed into it. So while we're on Japan, so we've got our pixelated heart on the pages, Pocket Bellu, as they were called, Pocket Bells, which, as I say, a huge craze before mobiles took off or were indeed invented. But then you've got other things within Japanese culture which you can see as feeding into it. So in Japan, since the sort of 1970s, 1980s, there's this been the idea of the kawaii culture, the cute culture, everything being cute which it's it's still going and it sort of epitomises a certain aspect, you know, manga, cartoons with huge eyes and uh, all in pink and Hello Kitty and all that sort of stuff. Pink cats with bows. Exactly, yeah, absolutely. That sort of picks up in the 1970s. And one aspect of that was what was known as this sort of trend for kitten writing, koneko-ji in Japanese, which was, again, our teenage girls developed, I guess, a style of writing which was very cute, which was full of ornate, big, rounded letters, and then they'd put like little cartoon faces and stars and hearts in. And that became a huge phenomenon in Japan, so much so that apparently um, some schools banned it. All the normal moral panics that we get about any new innovations by kids. But again, that's that sort of a very visual writing style which mixes the idea of cute, important, cartoonish. Because I guess, basically, what you're expressing is you're not just expressing with that sort of stuff ideas and facts and messages. It's part of your personality, part of your community, part of what all the other kids in school are doing. So that's another part of the origin, that sort of whole idea of cute and, and especially this, this handwriting. We'll be back after this short break. Why were medieval priests so worried that women were going to seduce men with fish that they'd kept in their pants? Who was the first gay activist? 
And what on earth does the expression sneezing in the cabbage mean? I'll tell you, it's not a cookery technique, that's for sure. Join me, Kate Lister, on Betwixt the Sheets, the history of sex scandal in society, a podcast where we will be bed-hopping throughout time and civilization to bring you the quirkiest and kinkiest stories from history. As promised, there will be... Sex. Anne has said that Henry is not skillful in copulating with a woman and has neither vigour nor potency. And scandal. Everybody just descends onto this crime scene and it's being pulled apart by members of the public sort of as quickly as they can excavate the bodies. And moments which shaped society. Pointy boobs then became a thing and were still a thing into the 1950s. What more could you possibly want? Listen to Betwixt the Sheets today, wherever it is that you get your podcasts. A podcast by History Hit. Okay, so we've got this Japanese sort of cutesy culture. We've got pagers, which was this sort of proto-technology or proto-phone technology in the early mid-90s. A pixelated heart. Okay, let's jump to the first kind of batch of emojis that came on the sort of phones proper as, as we may recognise them. And I believe that that first group of emojis in, is in the, the Museum of Modern Art now in New York. It's sort of, it's been sort of taken as a kind of great moment seminal moment in technology and language and art that's the 1999 uh, batch i think and they're like 170 of them and that was the first one developed by this guy shigetaka kurita for one of the japanese mobile phone companies the thing about um, mobile technology in those days is you can only send messages to the person that had the same company of phone as you did I and mean, it was the same here for ages wasn't it, it was free if you sent something to someone on your network and it wasn't. They wouldn't operate across the boundaries of different mobile networks. So different mobile networks develop their own. I mean, they look much more pixelated, obviously, than than the ones now, but they're all pretty much the same as what we've got. I mean, I'm looking at them and they're all very familiar. There's a few obvious omissions, like the aubergine (laughs) or the eggplant, if you're into America, which is... Probably my most used emoji. I, I'm joking. It's not. Well, maybe it is actually. Why? I, again, I, I mentioned <laughs> I mentioned Doran Cox at the beginning. Why did? Why is? Why are we so obsessed by that? Why did we have to repurpose an aubergine, a phallic looking aubergine into a? Sorry, this is another parenthesis. I'm diverting. No, no, it's it's a very good parenthesis because it introduces two sort of sort of fundamentals of emojis. Firstly, there are a limited set of emojis. You know, that first set was like 170. We're up to over 3,000 now. I mean, 3,000 is a lot in one way if you're trying to search for search for one on your phone. But it's not if you're trying to express the wealth of uh, experience that um, that life offers. So what do you do if you want to express something and there isn't a particular emoji for it? You use something... It's mostly a metaphor... Metaphors are very popular. So you use something which resembles it in some form or other or resembles the sound of it or something. Yeah, like the peach. The peach looks like a bottom. Yes, so those were the sort of classic early ones. And then, yeah, I mean, loads of emoji use is based on expressing something via metaphor. So it's not... So the skull, for example, has been recently very common, popular, or at least probably no longer is, on TikTok as a way of indicating laughter because it's, you know, to die laughing. So if you look at a skull, it doesn't, it doesn't represent something funny. In fact, probably quite the opposite. But that's how it gets used. As I said, that's because there's a limited thing. And specifically, there's very little to do with sex 
in emojis. There were controlled vocabulary, you know, there were only certain numbers of them. There are very strict regulations on what you can make emojis of. I'm going to come on to that because that's a really, really interesting point. Is just, just as another parenthesis, when I was at college, long before emojis and mobile phones, I went through a phase of, on my checkbook, I had a checkbook, uh, and I used to sign, I thought, because I was really juvenile, and, and I still am, and I still think drawing willies on things is really funny. I signed my, my, my checks with a cock, because I, I thought it was funny and generally juvenile and silly, to the point where my bank actually called me up and said, um, do you mind not signing your checks with a, with a cock, please? Because that's rude. Tell us who the Unicode Consortium is, because I think this is really interesting. Because no one is controlling me with a pen. I can write whatever I want, however juvenile and silly it is. Up to a point until your bank manager steps in. And until says, my bank manager you know. gets involved and like, stop being a, a dick. So the Emoji Code Consortium, well, it, it has a specific purpose, which is one of the reasons why emojis became globally popular. It's a universal coding system for characters for alphabets for um, all sorts of characters so we can i can send from whatever phone or operating system i'm using to whatever operating system you're using and the same thing shows up i mean there was a time when you couldn't do that if you'd sent a message you'd written in on one phone to another it would just be sort of garbled characters so that's their purpose and in terms of the emoji story when unicode began encoding emojis that's when they became global. But it's a global standard, but obviously it's a global standard which has got... There are particular people who decide that global standard. Are these the people that says, right, you can't have sexual images on emojis, you can't have distaste... Like, who gets to decide that? Yeah, well, exactly. Well, there are two groups that get to decide. So one is Unicode Consortium. is based in California, and it's got lots of people on its board who can vote about these things, and they're all the big tech companies, particularly the American ones. So although it's universal, it's Meta, Apple, Adobe, but basically it's um, Silicon Valley. Do they kind of sit around and, and decide like what, like how, did, how do I join this group? Do they have like meetings and, and they have like, all right, Thursday we've got an emoji meeting at four o'clock and we're going to decide. Do they know that peaches and aubergines and eggplants are being used for, and, and do they mind? Like how... What goes through their heads? I don't think they mind about that. I mean, the the interesting issues are when it comes to sort of violence and things like that. There have been sort of decisions about whether to have a rifle emoji, for example, and the decision was against it because they didn't want that inadvertently to promote gun crime. There's a pistol emoji, and over time that has changed from looking like an actual revolver to looking like a water pistol and all the all the carriers now all the um, platforms now do that so from that sense yeah it's controlled and people are making decisions which they think will influence you know people out in the world and i'm sure there are sort of heated discussions about this in various boards meetings in various places it's odd it's an odd thing because there's, there aren't any other language i'm putting languages in inverted commas where where you have a group of people who'd get to decide do you think that the fact that there is a limit, there are boundaries around them, is the thing that makes them attractive? Because it forces us to think in certain ways, it forces us to be creative, it forces us not to be lazy, perhaps. I think that's one, I mean, going back to your uh, history of science in one tweet, it's like a challenge, and you've got to be very inventive to do that. 
uh, it might not be very easy to read. I don't know how many people, how many of your um, uh, your followers were. You know, got one hundred and twenty-seven retweets. <laughs> not bad there we go. for That's me. Good. <laughs> yes, um, and it, and it works both ways. So it's creative for you to put it together. You know, you've got these real ridiculous ridiculous constraints. Really, I mean, you know, it's a a, a huge idea when you're trying to do it in blah. Um, but it's creative for people trying to interpret it. It's like a puzzle, you know. Oh, what's he trying to get at here? I know it's supposed to be about science. Why on earth has he suddenly got the aubergine in the middle of it all? So, yeah, I think that's absolutely part of it. We've mentioned the, the Unicode consortium, the shadowy group of... If I was a conspiracy theorist, Philip, I'd call them a shadowy group of elites. Yes. In Silicon Valley trying to fence me in, daddy-o, with their rules and regulations. But um, what's the future of emojis like? What so we've got? The, it keeps the universe of emojis expands at periodically. Um, where are we going from here? Each year they add new ones, but the issue is, you know, how far do you expand before it, the idea loses validity because there were just too many from a practical point of view. How do you find, you know, how do you find them? It loses that constrained quality. Talking about being a shadowy group. I mean, there was, in the sort of the mid-2010s, that did become a big issue because it was seen as politically conservative, culturally conservative in a way, in that it didn't... There were big issues around diversity, you know, all the sports people were men. So, yeah, it was that slightly closed secret cabal that's overdoing it a bit. But there was an aspect of that, and it has opened up much more. But it still has that. I mean, I think one of the interesting things is, although it's global and it's diverse and all these things now, it's still diverse and global as that is understood in the West, and particularly as that is understood in California. Tell me... um... I mean, you you know, you've studied this a lot and you've, you've written a book about it, not in emojis, but you've written a book. What is the, for you, the interesting thing about emojis? What does that say? What do emojis say about us as a species, as a civilization? The interest for me originally was that they were seen, they probably still are seen, as sort of frivolous, slightly silly, cute, all that sort of stuff. And yet, actually, they're sort of very much, they're absolutely sort of fundamental to the way people communicate these days and they they're used for all sorts of different reasons i mean a lot of very serious terrorists use them supposedly for code for discussing terror campaigns people use them to express when they're mourning and when they're you know to to express grief politicians use them to persuade people in various ways so they are a very a very sort of integral and serious part of communication now also that sort of idea that we briefly touched on at the beginning are their language no is the answer the simple answer but they're one of the fascinating ways of how we've extended our language extended how we communicate i mean we're always doing it throughout history but this is one of you know this is a very noticeable way and how we mix it we mix it usually you write emojis with written conversation and so what's that doing and the interesting thing is it's happened so quickly as well. You know, we talk about languages dying and languages dying out at the rate of knots. Should we should we keep languages? Should we preserve languages that are naturally dying? And here's a, a sort of a language, a proto-language that, that has just flourished and has become so fundamental in the way that that's got kind of crosses all kinds of, as you say, all kinds of barriers and, and generations. And the fact that my mum uses emojis all the time, it's like, it's like really interesting. Yes, exactly. Now it's almost a sort of... Yeah, a middle-aged thing. I mean, not quite properly, but... Uh, um, you calling me middle-aged? With the kid. It's the, your mention of checkbooks earlier, you say. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, that's, the, that's the key. 
I could talk about this all day, Philip. We're going to have to wrap it up. I just, you know, what I love about this this particular subject is that it just touches on all kinds of things, all kinds of not just the invention of, but also politics and society and language and art and sex, all kinds of fun stuff. Fun stuff, fun stuff. Uh, listen, thank you so much for joining me on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on, and and it's, this has been one I've been wanting to do for a while. So great to have you. Thank you. Brilliant. Well, thanks for uh, inviting me along. That's it. Thank you for listening. Thank you very much for your company. I hope uh, you enjoyed that. Really, really interesting. Don't forget, you can go and follow me on Twitter. You can go back all the way back to 2015 and comment on my history of science emoji tweet, which I keep meaning to redo and make a little bit better. But I probably won't. But anyway, it would be lovely to hear from you. Don't forget as well, give us a rating, a five-star rating, if you like, and a review. It really helps others discover the show and it makes us feel good and it helps just it just do it please it'd be very very kind of you i know everyone's always asking you to give reviews and ratings and follows and likes and all that kind of stuff but um we would be very very grateful and also get in touch we love hearing from you we'd love your suggestions for future shows we will of course credit you we've had loads and loads of suggestions and we've done several shows based on listener suggestions so do get in touch with those i will see you next time thank you very much for your company While I still have you, very briefly, if you fancy getting all of the History Hit podcast archive and new episodes ad-free, along with hundreds of history documentaries to watch, download our app across Apple App Store, Google Play, and smart TV platforms. Follow the link in the show notes or go to historyhit.com slash subscribe. There is thousands of hours of history on there, including a documentary on science in the Middle Ages with Seb Falk, and also one with me talking about the secret history of the space race. As a patented listener, you get a special gift if you use the code patented at the checkout. You get 50% off your first three months. That's patented for 50% off your first three months. And if you're an Apple listener, you can subscribe for new ad-free podcast episodes within the Apple app.